friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magique. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my lifeless wife that I ordered off the internet, and co-host. Definitely Alex Dandino. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, as always, if you're with us, man, we really appreciate that. If you would do us another solid Please take a moment to leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. That helps us out a ton. Please. Uh, find us on all our socials. Follow. Get at us if there are movies you guys want to see us cover. We love hearing from you guys. Also, you can subscribe and follow us on YouTube at Nerd Alchemist. That's plural with an S at the end. All right, guys. That's enough business. Uh, this is it. The end of the month of Amur, right? That's right. Uh, I would do anything for love, parenthesis, uh, but I won't do that. I wore my Krill Intention shirt specifically for this. <laughs> that would have been a good one, dude. <laughs> I can't believe we haven't gotten to that yet. We'll find right, a month so for it. We did Birth, Harold and Maud, and Near Dark, guys. So please find those. Uh, we got some other cool stuff coming up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this, the final uh, entry of Amur, right? Lars and the real girl. Now, mm-hmm. let me start off with like a quick thought, right? This is not the movie I remember watching, which was really strange to me. Because I, I saw this in the theater, and I guess I walked away with like an idea in my head of what it was. Yeah. This is not the movie that I remember watching. I don't know what changed in me, but... It's just very different watching it. I don't know. When did this movie come out? This was like 10 years ago. This movie came out in 2007, so we would have been in college still. Really? Okay. So, yeah. So, it's been a long... Maybe I'm older now. I have my own family. I remember seeing this movie, I believe, when I was either about to leave Ball State or it was my first year at San Diego State. Yeah. Well, this is what struck me most, right, about this movie. And this is why... I actually think this movie is so much better than I remember it being, right? Right, right. What When you hear the premise, right, if you were to get the elevator pitch for Lars and the Real Girl, and I'm assuming when they took this out to pitch, they got the same note constantly, like, oh, hilarious, raunchy comedy, eh? I get it. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not... What I was so surprised is this movie has so little cynicism in it. Oh, God. Right? No. And there, there is a universe where you take this kind of a, a film, right? In this setup, and especially early in the film when you're getting your first images of Bianca, you have this, because Bianca at the start of the movie hits as this, oh my God, they're in a church with a fuck doll. Oh my God, they're at the doctors with a fuck doll, right? Like, that's what you're hearing, and that's what you're seeing in your head. And so... You think you know kind of what's happening. That's not the movie. This movie is so full no. of legitimate, earnest goodwill. Yeah. That it's it's just so much better and deeper than I remember walking away with. I think maybe that's just the gift of being a little older. But I, w- I was pleasantly surprised on a rewatch. You know, man, I uh, I remember seeing, like, I remember going in to see this movie based on the premise alone. Like, I'm like, one, I loved, like, this was like... <laughs> Probably right. one of the first movies at post notebook I remember seeing Ryan Gosling in. Be like, mm-hmm. oh well, I love that guy. And then like Emily Mortimer's in it, and one of the greatest character actors like show up in a movie under the radar guys of all time. Paul Schneider is a, a second yeah. lead in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. But 
the thing that always struck me because I felt the same way. I walked into the movie expecting sort of a more broad comedy when I was younger mm-hmm. and I walked out feeling very transformed as far as like emotional uh, upheaval goes. So this time yeah. too, watching it, um, it's just, it's such a powerful emotion love in this movie. Like it's bizarre because, and I think the smarter thing, like, yeah, because the elevator pitch absolutely should be like, Guy buys a fuck doll in small Wisconsin town. Sold. But like, yeah. uh, imagine selling that movie, going and making this movie for $2 million, coming back, showing a first cut, and then being like, fuck did I just buy? It's my summer tent pole. What the hell? What's going on here? You know, there was some executive who's like, I need the pie scene. Where's the pie scene? <laughs> right? Like, he wants that American pie moment right, where exactly. like, they walk in and you just see Ryan Gosling's like ass and he, huh? Yeah. Whoa, busted. You know I, mean, I mean, like, the earnestness of this movie is so important to not, like, ha- had it gone anywhere near that, I feel like the whole I, the whole movie would have been so false had it gone anywhere near, like, the – because everybody is in on it, too. Well, it's, like, it's really hard to build a temple of earnest – earnestness right because i live in a small town in the midwest right right and this movie really highlighted what i think a lot of my neighbors and friends would say are things they like about this area i don't necessarily believe any of that or that this could ever happen right i'm more cynical so the movie itself plays to me as come on you said it come fucking burn the world down right like (laughs) drive around with this little fuck doll in your sidecar and we'll destroy it and that's not what it is. And by the end of the movie, you really believe Bianca as a character. But this oh, is, yeah. This is, <laughs> and that's the thing, though. I had this burning question throughout, right? Sure. I was like, because you cannot build this movie, and it cannot have the impact it has if Lars actually gets down with that doll. No. You know what I mean? No. It's, it's one of those. <laughs> it's so strange because it's not, it's not a movie where it's just like he finds a doll or something. And I think it becomes extra important the fact that these dolls, as we see when his brother's looking up on the internet, like, are you the cowboy to rodeo with this last oh, yeah. year? Like, like, they all have, like, these porno the, backstories. The premise if he fucks of these that doll, this whole movie life, falls apart. The premise of these dolls in real life is <laughs> so inconsequential because, like, this story that Lars concocts for who Bianca is. Mm-hmm. And again, this is like the great thing about the movie in general is Bianca is the like probably one of my top five favorite just MacGuffins in a movie. It's completely, yeah. it's absolutely, it like it's the movie is not about Lars and her together. The movie is about mm. Bianca changing everybody in the town slowly. Like this inanimate object that has absolutely nothing to do with anything other than being a fuck doll is treated yeah. with such like poise and sophistication and love that like throughout the rest of the movie absolutely nobody questions what Bianca means to them not anybody else it starts with oh that's an important thing for Lars but it becomes so important to the rest of the town that well this is the so earnestness because, is just yeah it just pulsates off the screen right because Bianca spoiler alert we're jumping around a bit Bianca when she's eulogized right yeah. They say uh, she was a teacher. She taught us all. She was a lesson in courage is how they describe right, it. Right, yeah. But what I loved about the movie is, yeah, and I think it's such a brilliant, it's a brilliant zig to the zag, right? Which is 
you're expecting this one thing, which is, you know, kind of a more aggro. When Lars is doing this, you know, this could be his, like, I will stand against the world. But it's right. not that. And what it is, it becomes, and that's what I mean. She's an empty vessel, not only in, you know, just what she is, but she becomes this person that has a life and other people are putting in and what happens is because i was gonna say like she's one of the best props in movie history absolutely because everywhere she is right in a town like this the people and i i love the fact that this movie doesn't have like a bedrock principle of like this is what we're doing and what i'm saying right it feels very organic the way it involves evolves with one of the stranger movie setups, right? Mm-hmm. And what it is, is every scene that Bianca's in and every person she comes in contact with is forced to reckon with what is reality, right? The, right. the pure absurdity of this. They are forced to confront, right? Like one of the first things we see is they go to church where Lars is a, a good church going boy, right? He helps everyone out. He's a really nice guy. And, they go to the church and like, well, Lars still really wants to come to church, but he wants to bring this this doll. And it's not a sex thing. Oh, it's yeah, just, man. you know, he's going through. So, and you see these guys like, no way, not in the house of the Lord. And it, it, it is this moment where you realize these people in church who want the best for him and say that they care about his happiness. The moment that they've seen him the happiest since they've known him, they are upset because it's not the happiness they prescribe also, until the old lady comes in and she's exactly. just like, ah, whatever, dude, like things it's, happen. It is the critical scene in the movie because this is what sets the tone for the whole rest of the story, which is right. the sincerity we have to live with, which is, and again, this like, this woman reminds me of like everybody's grandmother who lived in a small town like this, like reminds me of both my grandparents who air everybody's right. dirty laundry out, but she literally goes through the, the group like, you know, your wife died a klepto. Why is why am I why are my pearls buried with her dumb face and like all these other like <laughs> she's literally just listing the things like all this shit and she goes, "Who cares? It's the we- it's not the weirdest yeah. thing we've seen here." And you're like, "Okay." Like without that I feel like without that scene itself, the movie kind of can't function. Like it can't function well, no, no, the no. way it does yeah, sure. and give us like the feelings we need. Right, that absolutely, right? Because the first thing we see is when he brings her to dinner, right? Or they're sitting on the couch. It's the iconic Lars and the real girl moment, right? right. Him sitting on the couch with Bianca dressed as a hooker still. Like, that's yeah. the weird. It's weird that that became the most iconic scene in the movie, essentially, right? right. Even the posters, she's still in the box and this and that. So very dehumanizing considering the movie as it becomes. And so that few minutes, right? Like, oh, Lars is fucking insane. Uh, This is really scary to them. We have to get him help. We're going to have to put him in hospital. Doing research, taking him to the doctor, this all becomes very terrifying. And she's the first one who just looks at it and she's like, hey, man, it's Lars. It's still fucking Lars. Right. And we all have our weird shit, you know, not a big deal. And that's the moment when whatever cynical underbelly, right? You know, like it reminds me of when Mortimer lifts the skirt up and she like recoils in horror at the, you know, bits, however they form the bits. Right. I don't know what Lars ordered, but she sees the bits and she recoils and you're like, oh, that's the movie I'm getting. And this lady immediately smacks that out of your hand and says, no, 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 no. This is a movie. It's not about a guy trying to find romance. Right. Right. This is a movie about people. reacting to this it's kind of like a 2001 monolith is how she works right right she appears and you sit there and you're like 
I don't know what this is, but I have to evolve or be clubbed over the head with bone by other monkeys. You know, like that's what Bianca becomes in she's this movie. The totem, she's the totem by which everyone in the town changes. Right. And that's what and it also works as she's a brilliant MacGuffin in another way, which is she is the conduit through which we actually get to live as Lars. Yes. Right. Because Lars is a brilliant uh, kind of character study and a lot of different. And I don't know that I would say it's mental illness. Like, I'm not smart enough on what are officially mental illnesses, but he has a lot of issues, let's say. Right. right. He can't be touched. He's a bit agoraphobic, you know. Like, I love the opening scene to the end, right? When he's so afraid of Emily Mortimer just being out, like, put the blanket on, put the blanket on. What do you, he can't wait to close the door. Right. Right. So there's a lot of fear and trepidations all kind of congealing into one person, right? What Bianca does for us for the rest of the movie is the movie says in that church basement, hey, we're going to earnestly look at this. Like, we love Lars, and this is a small town where we've known him his whole life. We'll accept him and make this okay. Right. And that seems very heartwarming, right? But it becomes so scary because every scene with Lars and Bianca, when they go, like, here's the scene that had me, like, nauseous, right? Was when they went to the party. When he takes her to the party, you're like, that is such a... Cause, and that's another one of those moments where you're, this is not Lars being aggressive to the world or lashing out. No. This is a man so desperate to reconnect with a world he's been so afraid of. And this is his shield, right? She becomes him by proxy, right? So right. if something bad happens, he has an, an extra barrier, right? A false version of himself. And when he goes into that party, you see everyone freeze and look at him. And I got nauseous. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And when that couple starts, look at that fucking weirdo. Of course he fucks her, you know? You get that, oh, my God, someone – like, I just envision someone's going to pick Bianca up. Someone's going to squeeze the tits. Right. Something horrible is going to happen and break Lars down. What actually happens is one of the most beautiful moments in the movie, which is when he just – he enters the party. He's overwhelmed. He squats down low and just stares at Bianca as he's kind of blinking and trying to, you know, st steady himself for the, the fucking fight ahead. And you just see people who love this guy – Come around him. Even the lady whose house it is, right? Her husband kind of, when she offers Bianca a drink, he's like, he makes a face, but he doesn't fuck around with him, right? At the end, that guy is dancing with Bianca and letting Lars have a gentle little moment. And that's that scene to me encompasses what this movie does, is you're so afraid because we are trained in our lives to be like, this is so wrong. Right. But what it is is just people surrounding someone who's just going through something, man. Yeah. And it's, it's fucking beautiful. But that's why we get put in Lars's head. you're like, oh, my God. How I feel now is how Lars has felt his whole life. Right. It's well, a really brilliant transportation. Yeah. I mean, really, any social interact, anytime they have to be around a lot of people, it's fascinating yeah. because the town itself, like, the town itself reacts to, it's almost like they react to Bianca the way they've always wanted to react to Lars. Like, Lars keeps that right. shield and that distance so yeah, far. Yeah, man. Like, being able to react in that way to Bianca and, like, show that kind of love to Bianca is Lars seeing finally for the first time, like, if I let people in, this is how this is how great it can feel. Like, what right. Bianca – like, again, like, think you're totally right. Like, Bianca is Lars by proxy. And that's sort of the great thing about the movie itself is it's 
this awesome visual metaphor for the slowly like the the wall slowly coming down brick by brick like that's the Mm -hmm. beauty of the movie the beauty of the sentiment in general and that's why we keep using the word earnest and that's why like the that's why the love of these characters and the love of these characters for bianca is really not for bianca it's for lars because people willing and you know there's that great scene where between emily mortimer and him outside the house where she literally dresses him down like everyone's going to lengths everyone's going to lengths to make this work for you like that that's she's the the one who's been pursuing him the whole movie right and that's the movie (laughs) that's the movie in and of itself right there to me like the movie really is about emily mortimer's character trying to reach out to trying to reach out in a way that's meaningful for Lars. Like, this is about a family, first and foremost. You know what's funny? Is that is not... At the start of the movie, I actually wrote the note down. I was like, what is her fucking problem? <laughs> like, when she is just in his fucking business, right? Right. And this, again, because I start off as cynical Griffey, right? I am myself. I'm a cynic by nature. I wish... My wife is, like, one of those hopelessly optimistic, like... Yeah. Just happy to be a part of the world and, like, brings joy to people. I am not. By nature, I am a bit of a black hole. Like, I can open up and, like, be okay, but you got to get through the... I'm more of a Lars, right? You got to get through the layers. Yeah. Right? And so, at the start of the movie, I'm sitting there, I'm like, this fucking piece of shit. Like, stop looking out your window at me, you know, with your goddamn white privilege. It's like, you know, like I'm lashing out with, like, catchphrases, right? Right. But goddamn, like you got nothing better to do. Like you don't have work or whatever. I know you're pregnant, but what? and I was like, you already got the house and the will. Like I'm out here in the fucking guest quarters with the garage. Like, can you just leave me the fuck alone? And like, don't jump in front of my car and scare me. Oh, yeah. So I was so mad at her at the start of the movie because it, it reminded me of the worst people I know. Like I live in a neighborhood and we have an, a fucking, you know, HOA. And if you have kids like PTA. Like, the people that do that like to fancy themselves as these, like, really good people who are helping out. Right. And it's like, no, you just want to fuck with other people's, like, affairs. Your life is devoid of meaning, and you're a vapid type of human being, so you're going to get your fucking fill out of other people's fucking flesh, right? Sorry, minor tirade. (laughs) There's my cynical side again. But what it and that's again, I'm with you. I don't think that what she's doing is that right. I don't think Lars is a project, but that's how it played to me. Right. What I think it is, is she's preparing her husband. Hey, man, I know you had a rough thing with your dad and you shut it down. He she he's kind of the opposite of Lars, right? Mm -hmm. Like they are very much the same and they're shut down. But his is he was able to go out and run away. Lars, you know, kind of still lives in it. Yeah. So this was her saying, hey, if you can fix it with him, this will prepare you and show you that you're going to be okay when it gets fucking hard with the kid. We have kids like that's going to happen. Right. I, but again. That, this is the great part of the movie is because, again, you think it's, oh, it's the movie with the guy and the fuck doll. Right? right. Right. And that's not what this is. Right. What Bianca is and the brilliant stroke of the movie is letting Bianca have her own life mm-hmm. and seeing how much other people need it. Yeah. Is Bianca is, again, a monolith of absurdity that teaches people to do the best they can to love themselves and to do one deed to make someone feel better. And the vast impact that can have that when you treat yourself correctly and you love yourself and you actually can deal with what's going on. Right. Even if it's through breaking down all of the norms that you hide behind. Right. 
that those little things have such a ripple effect throughout this whole community. Right. Like another scene, right? I was nauseous at the bowling date. Oh my right? God. What One, a great because scene, I was man. like, is this the movie where, cause this is essentially the, the movie where it says Lars will be cured when he cheats on her murders, Bianca. <laughs> right. Which is kind of a weird, like it's this, it's this, uh, you know, pit in the pendulum type scenario over my mind. The whole movie is, and he sets up a date behind Bianca when she's out there working hard on the school board. That fucking two time and pimp Lars, <laughs> like he's over here doing smooth operating. Like, oh, what up, girl? You dumped your boyfriend. Sorry, girl. Resuscitating her teddy bear. You fucking playboy, dude. Right. And so he sets up a date. But here's this is again this is another great microcosm of the movie. You see the bros come in, right? The bros that were making fun of his brother about, I wish my woman didn't talk. How does she have a sister? So you get afraid. You're like, oh, God, they're crashing his date. And you can see Lars is already struggling, right? He's trying, but he's struggling. Yeah. They don't fuck with him, right? Every time they set us up, you're like, this is the point in the movie where someone is going to hurt him so bad. It's the dark night of soul, as Saves the Cat calls it, right? Yeah. This is the part when it all goes bad and Lars is like, I can't anymore. I can't even have fake love. Right. Right. And he, he loses it. And no one ever has that scene. No. This and is that's like, my favorite part of the movie. This is the most important part about this film. Like the thing that is crucial is that. And, and it's weird because they never say this about a character who's literally there purely for exposition. But Patricia Clarkson explaining what Bianca is. Mm-hmm. And it's intermittent too, but she literally te- like she says exactly what's happening, which is because Bianca gets sick and starts mm-hmm. to you know she, like Lars. Once Lars starts spending time with the other woman, Bianca starts getting sick, and that he touches her hand and it doesn't and burn, it doesn't like burn. His feet freezing. But this right? is like the thing is yeah. again, it's the crucial moment is when Bianca starts getting sick and dying. This is Lars opening up to the world. Like this is this huge moment in the movie. And again, because we've spent the entire time not doing American Pie scenes, which because honestly, <laughs> like like because of that, yeah. we're all in the mindset of Bianca A being a real person, B being a member of the community, and C mm-hmm. being the love of Lars's life. So when she is dying, it is emotional. It's so right. emotional and it totally yeah. shouldn't be because it's literally a fucked all going away. But it's, <laughs> it's amazing. so funny too. Well, they have like three false moments that I was like, Oh God, like, cause they have a fight, right? They have their first fight and he mm-hmm. goes out and starts chopping axes. Like mm, shades of frailty. This won't end well. Right. Cause there, there's also a version of this movie <laughs> where you're, you're like, Lars is definitely an incel or a serial killer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when when the old lady dresses him down, right? Mrs., you know, let him have his cake and eat it too. Right. Even though he never eats the cake. That's important in this movie. Right? And she's like, she's got a life too and I'm taking her. And then I was just like, I want one cutaway of like, do they all go as far as Lars or do they just leave her ass in the car? You know what I mean? Like, how far is this going? But there's these versions, right? And you're like, Lars is a bit of an incel. Oh, yeah. Right? And then there's another scene where they have another fight. And it cuts to them in, like, an abandoned wooded area. And they're in the car, and it's a wide shot. And I was like, if Lars comes out with, like, her head, and it's just like, ah! I was like, this movie's going to be lit. Yeah. Right? Of course, I knew that wasn't coming. But there are these moments. Again, that's the funny thing about this movie is there are so many moments where you're like, this is the turn. This is where, 
a lesser screenwriter. And this right. did get nominated for best ade- got, uh, original. It, I think it's the only thing I got nominated for was best. Yeah. Best original. And then he got nominated in the Golden Globes, but yeah. it is a really powerful lesson to the screenwriter, which is you don't have to always go where you think the most extreme thing. Right. And this movie kind of has that. What is extreme about this movie is how much people are willing to accept this. Because even me as a cynical fuck, right? At the start of the movie, I I had this notion I wanted to run by. I was like, there's a world where this is just a Home Alone sequel. (laughs) Right? Kevin, Kevin grows up. And he's been very traumatized by every time he goes out and there's snow, there's a criminal, right? His family's probably died after, like, the eighth attack by, you know, whatever they call themselves now, the command strip bandits or whatever. <laughs> you know, their their latest racket is in part eight. And all that survived was him and his younger brother, right? Kieran, right. Kieran Culkin or whoever the other kid was. And they split the now house because the McAllisters had to leave their mansion and move up north to try to escape these fucking murder bandits. And so that's why he's so afraid of the outside world. And the only time he remembers being rewarded is when he set up like Michael Jordan and all those fake people dancing in the house. And so Kevin McAllister's breaking. He's breaking bad, right? He's reliving his childhood fantasies. That, with the subtext of maybe this is uh, Lars just having a direct revenge fantasy because his sister keeps busybodying him, right? Because there is a moment in that, too, when he brings the doll in the house. And I was like, He's fucking with her now. He's fucking with her bad. Because he even says, and this is so fucking ridiculous. He's like, do you mind if my fuck doll, this is before we know she's Bianca. At this point, she's still a fuck doll. Do you mind if my fuck doll dresses in your wife's clothes in front of his brother who looks like he's about to beat his ass? That's that's so weird. There's so much weirdness at the start of that movie. It's, But But I'm telling you, that is like Home Alone 9 is such a great, great idea. Like... There's again, there's so many we keep talking about this, but I can't stop thinking about the other worlds this movie exists in. Like to me, oh, yeah. this is like there's a world where this is a twenty million dollar tent pole movie for the summer and like you know It's just weekend at Bernie's produ- produ- <laughs> produced by you know, produced by Judd Apatow and starring, you know, Jonah yeah. Hill. Like there's a version of this movie like and I feel like I guarantee you that was pitched by like five different executives. <laughs> And then finally, and look, I don't have a problem with uh, the Judd Apatow movies, by the way. I, I like Judd Apatow movies. But Jason to, Siegel plays the, it's like Mannequin then. Jason Siegel comes alive as Bianca. <laughs> oh, Lars, you're right. What a rough town to live in. I don't like it. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, it's actually, you know, it's funny you say that. Remember that movie, The Five-Year Engagement? Yes. There's that section where she gets the job teaching in Michigan. Mm-hmm. That's the Judd Apatow version. That's the Judd Apatow version. <laughs> So the thing about it is, though, is like, again, and then the version we got is this 20 is the two million dollar movie that's like because, you know, like I, I cannot imagine having to be in those rooms where people are just excruciatingly begging them to change this movie into what it easily could be. Yeah. And like not understanding the tightrope walk you have to do to make this movie punch emotionally the way right. it does, because like, again, like. Great example. With the first time we go to Lars's work, like first off that like morning, which by the way is like one of my all time favorite scenes the morning after when he has to go to work and they're sitting there and they're having breakfast and Paul Schneider's just like, Paul Schneider has some one of the, some of the greatest like fuck me faces in this entire yeah. movie. But yeah. the the punch in the end, the like the the um 
the uh, exclamation point in the end of the scene is Emily Mortimer kind of like trying to give him the business being like, you got to get You got to go along with this. And he's like, I tried. And she goes, yes, yeah, stop trying to yeah, like, I had to try. He's like, I had to he's try. Just like, she's not something. She's a hunk of plastic. Right. Right. He's like, <laughs> I tried. Is- and then, and then, and right. then she finishes him going, Bianca and I go in the other room to make some calls. I'm like, perfect. That's all we need for the entire movie. The one person who wants this to work is earnestly trying to get it to work. That sets the tone for the is rest of the movie. I need nothing else. No, is I'm talking he? about I'm talking about Emily Mortimer. Not well, I'm him. just like, do we know what Bianca died of? Did she catch it from the brother? Because <laughs> there's this thing when he comes <laughs> in and finds Lars in the pink right room, there, man. and all of a sudden he goes, "Hey, I put Bianca to bed," and I was like, "Have you been plowing Lars's wife, Bianca?" I thought Lars's girlfriend, Bianca. I remember there originally when I saw it, weird, I thought like, that I was like, "Is he yeah, going like, to fuck the doll?" He, is he angry sexing this doll? Yeah. Right? There's a lot of that going. Because the guy who shares the cubicle with him definitely digs Bianca's body up as soon as this movie ends. Oh. Right? Because he's like, I just bought an Xbox. I can't afford my own Bianca. Yeah. And he's like, I know this one is pristine, right? I have to sell my three. I'll sell those three action figures that got stolen at the very beginning. No, wait. He's like, I'm not selling my X-Force open figures, right? Those mean something to me. I'm going to go dig up Bianca. And, like, that's the sequel, right? It yeah. becomes, like, you know, the human centipede sequels. Lars but, L- Lars and the exhumation yeah, of the Bianca. Thing, there is so many moments of darkness in this movie. Yeah. There are so many moments that just make you think something is going to go so horrendously bad. Totally. And it's quite the tightrope they walk. I don't know. Like, actually, the brother's probably the best example of it in the movie is him fucking hating this. And the scene that really will stick out with me after this viewing was when they were bathing Bianca together. Yes. And they kind of have this, like, it's just this really, like, kind of cute married people thing. We all go through it where you're just like, how the fuck did this happen? Like, what, what is happening right now? And they kind of have, like, just a cute little, you know, and he's, it's not even that cute because he's just like, what the fuck? Is he ever going to get better? Like, why are we doing this? And she's, I don't know. I don't know. And they just keep washing Bianca. But it tells you everything, the fact that from that breakfast, right, the guy is like, he needs to be in a state hospital, to, I don't agree with it, and I'm scared, but I'll still wash her, right? right? That transition is fucking huge, and watching him grow into this, right, that his journey is the audience's journey, yeah, right? Because we see Lars as creepy and scare hit the start, and same with Bianca, and then all of a sudden, it shifts, and- Now he's in the basement, and he himself has been taught, fuck, man, my brother is going through it. And I always thought about how it affected me, and I ran, and, you know, I was strong enough to take care of it. Right. And that's kind of one of the insidious things about people who have mental illnesses or feel alone sometimes is other people do that. Well, I fucking deal with it every day. Why can't you? And you're like, that's just not the reality of it, right? right? And so watching him go from this guy who's like, what are people going to say? That I think that was one of the first things he says, right? What are they going to say? Right. And Emily Mortimer is just like, man, we can't think of that. She <laughs> right. gets it, right? Well, she, she gets, gets it from it. the start because she wants she wants Lars right. to be part of that family so badly. And again, that's one of those like great. But more than that, she wants her husband to be a part of it because right. they're expecting a child. They're having a baby. Like The, the baby yeah. is such a huge factor, and I think that's the thing that's so intelligent about this movie is how many access points you have to filter your experience in this film. Like mm-hmm. You can see this through. 
you can find a way to see this through Lars's eyes. You can feel that isolated and watch a movie about someone opening up to the world. Most of us will watch it through Paul Schneider's character's eyes where we're like, what the fuck? And then like slowly yeah. come around. But like the really, really beautiful one to watch it through is through Emily Mortimer's character. Because Emily Mortimer's character the old busybody her seems like a busybody but she's just (laughs) but she's not she's she's a concerned parent man like that's like all it is like it's she's a concern she's a mother hen like that's she's like the best mother who's not a mom yet it's pretty fascinating i i honestly that's what i appreciated a lot more this time right is they're not just there to be aghast at his behavior she legitimately has a mission to save her own husband and her unborn child. And if she can save Lars, great. Totally. Right. But it's a very realistic. It's not this altruistic. I'm just a great person with a lot of free time. It's really emotionally focused. And that comes across in all the characters for the most part. And I just this is something I wanted to talk to you about, too, is I think this movie suffers a little bit. Right. Because her came out. And her, I think her frames this in a more easy to understand world, right? Which is, this is going to happen. The world is getting busier and we are getting lonelier and more disconnected. And they frame it as you actually need to find love, right? They take away the mental illness aspect of it. Right. Right. And they actually focus it on a romantic relationship. If you take that difference out, these movies play almost the same, right? Even, uh, Whatever the name of the the system is in her I it's, has its own life. I believe it's it start, Samantha. Yeah, it starts to go out and do its own thing, right? And he right. has to come to grips with loving himself. It's very much the same, but it takes away that mental illness part. What her does is shuts out the rest of the world right. and says, this is the reality of the future of love, is that there are a lot of people that aren't going to find someone, whether right or wrong, and... What What is the difference in them having something that you would deem artificial if in their mind – this is kind of what the doctor says at the start, right? Is, is Lars still bathing and handling his business? Is he going to work? Is he violent? And they're like, no, he's just the same old good guy Lars. He just carries around this fucking doll now. And I think that her focuses it more into where it's easier to latch on to as an audience member. I do – wonder what the trajectory of this movie is if that movie didn't exist uh what do you mean by trajectory you mean like well i just i wonder if people would because i feel like this is the movie that never gets talked about or people focus on oh yeah the guy in the fuck doll and i think they lose this really great story of you know kind of the community and a guy overcoming a traumatic past because we all understand you know, dating on apps and this and that. That's that's more of a personal journey for all of us. Right. With Joaquin, whereas this with Ryan Gosling, this is not a guy and a doll. This is him and his his family relationship, right. his coworkers, well, his whole town, his I mean, society. I, to me, I feel like this is far more tr- – I mean, if I'm going to be honest, I feel like this one is far more true of what love accomplishes. Um, To me, her is a great example of – Love, like, great example, you know, on the surface, love in the digital age. But more to the point, like, it's about finding true love amidst all the falsity that is love. Like, the movie Her begins with the basic premise, like, this guy writes other people's love letters. I always found that to be bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Like, That's he, a really cool setting, yeah. He literally forges love on a regular basis. So him to find it 
In a, <laughs> That's a funny way to put it. <laughs> so for him to find it in a uh, AI is a it's like ironic, but also kind of beautiful. Like he finds the most original love of all. To me, Lars and the Real Girl is about what love actually is, which is when you marry, like when you marry someone, for instance, you marry their, like you marry their family no matter what. Like you marry into a family, you become part of something much larger than yourself. Now you can take it into moments where you are simply the two of you or the three of you or the four of you if you have kids. But like most importantly, people are automatically going to be involved in your life that you didn't expect them, that you didn't want necessarily, but it's going to happen no matter what. So to me, Lars and the Real Girl explores what love does when you let it in. Her explores really like, you know, what love, like what love is necessarily, I would say. Yeah, I mean, they're both movies at their core about loving yourself, right? What I think the the difference is, is that I her guess. is saying, can you love your loving yourself be enough? Right. Whereas Lars has this extra layer that and I'm not taking it. I love her. I fucking adore that movie. And it's we'll get movie. to it someday. But I think that movie came out and people focused on, oh, that's the love and an object movie. Right. Right. Whereas I think this one has so much more to offer. And I think it just kind of got brushed under the rug and simplized or, you know, simplified. Well, yeah. Down to the, the you know, elevator pitch. Of course. And I mean, what this one is, right, instead in. of. Because I think what her ask is, if you take all the people away, can you still be okay? And I think her does leave you a little optimistic that maybe he will form a, a human bond. But I think what they're saying is that this is all just kind of chemical reactions, man. And isn't it just better that while we're here, we're as happy as we can be by hook or crook or whatever, you know? Like, we just need to be happy. Right. What Lars does is... It's not just about him learning to love himself, but then how that kind of love ping pongs and ricochets with all these other people who then love themselves and love him more. Right. right? So it, it that one is whereas her might be boxing out some of the human, although I'm not saying that movie doesn't have humanity to it. Right. It's asking, is it necessary? I think Lars is just almost the complete inverse, which is. By the end, we bury Bianca, right? right. Like, self-love well, is fine, but you can only find that when you take the glove off and you're willing to touch another person's hand and not be afraid it'll burn. I mean, that's... Right? And so that's that's the really lovely yeah. subtext of Lars that I think... Absolutely. ...is equally as powerful as her, even though that one might be a little more easy to digest on an individual Sure. Basis. I mean, to, yeah. I mean, I think, to me, her, her explores romance, and what, mm. what romantic love, what true romantic love maybe is yeah. for some people. I think you're totally right, though. Lars and the Real Girl is about opening up. Like, it's about mm. the openness you have to have. And when you open up, it's very beautiful. It's very lovely. And that's what yeah. true love is. So, And I don't want to be the guy who's simplifying her as well. That, that movie has all kinds of interesting no. things to say like, about this kind of relationship. This is a very specific subgenre of movies. Yeah. Like... What would you call it? Uh, ob like object love, so to speak. Like again, this movie yeah. definitely gets sweeped under the rug a lot of the time because it's oh, it's the movie with the guy who fucks the doll. False. Watch the movie, right? Because if you pitch this to anyone who hadn't seen it, the first thing we all imagine, right? I did when I saw the trailer. You, pro every single person, when Everyone. you hear this pitch, is 
oh, it's a weird, creepy loner who fucks a doll. And it gives you a weird, unsavory taste. And you're like, that's not the movie. And especially, this is the thing, too, is I think this movie actually has gotten better with time, right? We live in an age now where I feel like this movie's more important, where as we're online more and everyone online for the most part, like not film alchemists, we do a pretty good job, but we just keep it to movies on Twitter and this and that. And the people we talk to are real lovely, mm-hmm. but all you got to do is go to the trends and you're just like, Oh man, I'm ready to burn it down, dude. Like this is horrible. <laughs> and so we live in that world where everyone's so mean and hyper, you know, polarized and the rise of incels, right? These people that just, they want a woman, but they want the, they want a, breathing warm version of bianca that is subservient to them right right and so the rise of these kind of things in the world i feel like lars has a lot about hey man it is a fucking big scary place but you know we can get there still and like this imagine if i told you there's a movie where a guy buys a fuck doll off the internet and by the end of it he pretends she dies right and people leave flowers and pictures of themselves with his fuck doll where he's not in it and they eulogize her, and you'll be crying. And I'd be like, that seems far-fetched, but I was. And yet here we are. Bianca's death and her eulogy. And the people who took pictures with Bianca and left them with the flowers, it stunned me. It's very moving. How much that moment just crushed my soul. And that's the other thing. Lars ventures out not wrapped up, right? It's the exact bookend to that opening image. He's not. Water drips on his face. He's oh, yeah, things happen in the real world. And he sees this outpouring of love, right? That one guy being willing to confront that the world is a fucking brutally difficult place to navigate. And one guy having the fucking honesty, right? To say, I'm not all right. You guys can't make me all right. And I I need to fix this, right? In my own way. The honesty of someone being brave enough to say that changes this whole fucking town man and the rest of the movie while you hear some snide remarks no one who actually knows him and is close enough fucking kills his uh his journey it's really stunning and that's it's it's such a you know it's just such a a heartwarming movie and that is not at all, like even i who had seen it in theaters did not remember the movie that way and I think that is the tragedy of Lars and the Real Girl, is that so many people won't see it because of what they think it is, and that other people, even if we see it, man, we get far enough away and we forget this, you know, what this movie really is. I I would hope people, this is one of those movies, it's available on Amazon Prime for free, by the way. Like, yeah. this is one of those movies you should just watch again. Like, commit to it, watch it, it's it's... It's so it's it's short. It gets to the point like it's 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 a lovely movie. And I would hope people would explore this before they would just say, oh, yeah, it's the fucking it's the fuck doll movie because it's not. It's about much. more. You know, what's insane (laughs) on the uh, YouTube channel that I run Nick Hall comedy. We did a sketch called Lars and the Real Girl, (laughs) too. We made a sequel to this movie. And this is how much I'd forgotten. That was fuck. That was even eight or nine years ago at this point. And it was about how Lars came home and he's just like having this argument like, yeah, I got the eggs. God damn it. And like Bianca has like a dude there, right? She's been having an affair on Lars when he's working. Right. And I was like, even that short, right? Not far removed from the release of the movie 
we were fo- we were focused more on the sex doll aspect of it than what that movie was. Look, it's not. And I, the- I feel like what's cool now is that this movie will be on my list of like, hey man, like it's a wonderful life. Is one there are just movies where I feel like are just good to check back in because if nothing else, right? What Bianca does in the movie and what I hope this movie will do for me going forward is check back in and through confrontation with the absurdity, look around in your own life and just be like, does this have to be the reality? Is this the best we can fucking do? You know, and I I think that's the thing that the movie does well is it forces you into scalding uncomfortable water. And by the end of it, you're like, oh, this is just like a nice fucking warm spring, man. I need this. It's like soothing to your soul. It's lovely. Yeah, man. All right, guys, that's it for Lars and the real girl. Um, If I ever find out there was a deleted scene where he actually hooked up with Bianca, though, that whole thing is a fraud or his brother or his cubicle mate or that he's Kevin McCallum. No, (laughs) sorry. I have a conspiratorial mind. My cynical my cynical mind was trying to insert its tendrils the whole movie. But uh, yeah, man, it's just it's fucking gorgeous movie. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. I hope uh, you get a lot out of watching that movie. That's it, guys, for the month of Amour. Uh, Alex, would you like to just go out and just shoot your shot right now? What theme are we doing next month? We had a couple we talked about. I'll just let you pick it right now. Pick it. Ooh. The pod. I don't know how to say this cleverly off the top of my head. The pod. (laughs) We're going to do detective movies. I have no idea. (laughs) Oh, the pod's on the case. There we go. Thank you. That was what it was. Shit. All right, so I already know my two picks. I've already told you, and you're really mad at me because in the grand wide breadth of detective story cinema, I am definitely choosing The Golden Child with Eddie Murphy, one of the most important movies of my childhood. Uh, As I laid thinking I was dying of sickness, my babysitter only had two VHSs, The Golden Child and Karate Kid. I watched Karate Kid once, and I said, not for me. And then watch Golden Child on repeat for like 48 hours in a row. And my second film, Lord of Illusions. Nice. A fucking awesome movie if you haven't seen it. You don't have to announce yours yet, but that's what we're doing. The pod takes the case next month. Uh, guys, as always, if you're here with us, I hope you enjoy what we're doing. Please take a second, leave us a rating and review. Find us on all your social media. We're really active on Twitter. Uh, at film alchemist one you can suggest movies to us uh list themes double features people you'd like to hear us talk to any of that good stuff find us on youtube nerd alchemist that's plural with an s at the end uh and as always guys thanks for listening man we'll see you soon from the film alchemist i'm josh griffey i'm alex dandino bye